Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age. I am speaking to you from Southern California and wishing you a happy 2021. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you today from Harlem, and it's a very lovely morning. Mm. I'm Seth Rodney. I am the opinions editor at the Hyperallergic Art Blog, and I'm coming to you from sunny Newburgh, where I can see trees in my backyard, and I think that's why I moved here. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And, you know, we, we did our annual Unlucky Days podcast, so we interrupted our discussion on knowledge. And we're going to pick that back up today. Um, we have two topics. I think maybe we'll just start with Michelle Wolf or what will be the takeoff or Michelle Wolf be, will be the takeoff for the conversation, mm-hmm. which is what does comfort or discomfort have to do with what we know about ourselves and how we know what we know about the world. Seth, you proposed this and and sent around the clip to to kind of kick off the conversation. So, you, do you want to lead us into it? Actually, I don't because it's been a while since I've seen it. So, if you don't mind talking <laughs> oh, about it, oh, all right, that's what it's, that, yeah. that's nice. So, you like just dropped your trash off at my house and we're like, here, take this out. Wow, <laughs> God damn! Twenty twenty one started off with a bang for you, huh? <laughs> Shit. Um, so, so uh, Michelle Wolf has this very funny routine, which I. I watched uh, again uh, last night. Actually, I showed it to my wife, Molly. And she basically is – I'm not going to try and be funny about it because it wouldn't I wouldn't be very successful at it. But she basically has a bit in her Netflix routine about how we should stop only blaming white men um, for all of the problems um, and all the things that have gone wrong in the world. And we need to in- start to include some white women in this because – and th- for those of you that listen to the the podcast, I'm sure you you know my discomfort with the kind of flatness of that, but it is quite funny, and Michelle Wolf is very funny. And basically saying that white women enjoyed the fruits of that inequality, of that sort of of the asymmetrical rights that white men enjoyed for hundreds of years in in the the West. And that white women were beneficiaries of that. And because of that comfort, we're not inclined to say anything about the inequalities that they were surrounded by. Um, and this was Seth's point in sending it. It wasn't really necessarily about the quote unquote white part of it. It was really about this, you know, what, what, what can we, how do inequalities affect the things that, you know, we are willing to know about ourselves and the world around us. So, which I thought was a great topic. So, so anyway, so that's the intro. Um, uh, Stephen, Seth, you. Yes. Yeah. The tagline was basically, you're not going to start a revolution from a duvet. Right? Yes. Like if you're like if you're like laying back, kicking up your yeah. your heels, and um, you know you've got um, manservants and maidservants at your beck and call, right? This right. is this is the sort of you know, uh, sort of exaggerated version of this, yes. um, right. Um, right? The sort of upper middle class sort of uh, aspirational dream. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it is true for people who are even solidly middle class in the states that you have a whole network of people of, of people who labor on your behalf. Yes, they are paid, right? We get mm-hmm. that. But they're nannies and they're teachers and they're tutors and they're 
um, speech pathologists and piano teachers, la la la, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who basically uh, allow your life to be structured in such a way that you can get paid for your own labor, but also you get to farm out some of the other responsibilities vis-a-vis childcare, um, um, home maintenance, la la la. Um, and 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 Michelle's point, which I take well too, is that revolutions don't start from that place where you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Where like mm-hmm. you have where you have these uh, uh, support networks in place that allow you to have um, a life of not not con- of not continuously struggling. Yeah. Um, um, and I guess I guess I take that to heart because I feel like, especially in the art scene, um, especially being one of the few black men who write uh, about contemporary art in a highly visible publication. I get the sense that there are people who are disappointed that I'm not more sort of pitchforks and torches kind of guy. Tear it down kind of thing. Yeah, tear it Mm. down, um, burn it to the ground, build something else. I'm not um, that person because I'm just by temperament and by um, conviction just more thoughtful and more careful about that. And And I feel like one of the ways in which our world doesn't work is that we end up with often end up in the place of making this mannequin choice of either preserving something or tearing it the fuck down. And I am very, very interested in finding a third way, which is Mm. maybe, um, well, I don't know. Um, I I don't want to get too theoretical about it, but um, I worry to some extent, it's a small worry. I'm concerned that um, sometimes people perceive me as not being radical enough. Um, yeah, that's it. Wow, that's an entire yeah. podcast, dude. That's an entire <laughs> podcast. Well, we're, we just got started, so here we go. So. Well, well, I, I want to bookmark that and go back to Michelle Wolf Because I okay. think it's important to kind of think... Well, not important to think about. For me, I felt like for those six or five or six minutes, there was a pretty <laughs> tight excerpt. And it was about how mm-hmm. comedy can transcend its moment. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, her analysis is an analysis that black women writers have already in 50 years ago. Right. You of know, course. or even right. longer. Right. right? Yeah. So that's right. one yeah. thing. Right. 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 But the way that she does it, her position as quote unquote a white woman, how she delivered, how she, her, she, she was tight. There were moments where she's coming and then she comes around with a joke. And, she, and mm-hmm. then she's saying something else. We, we even, even, even the way we went about getting our rights, you know, was, you know, that was a. We t- want a job. We have a job. We're taking yeah, care of your yeah. kids. Like, yeah, yeah. so she uses yeah. her, her, and she calls it her shrillness, but also mm-hmm. it's, it's bombastic and it's large. And I asked myself, mm-hmm. would this, would I laugh at this a year from now? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is funny. This is absolutely mm-hmm. funny. She's not talking about all white women. So I think that that flatness that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. comedy is struggling against saying certain kinds of things that are often um, shot at. It made me think of the correspondence dinner that she did and then mm-hmm. the press behind mm-hmm. it. And I was like, mm-hmm. you guys are even getting the jokes wrong. And I thought about it. I was mm-hmm. like, it's not even about that. It's like you're not supposed to laugh at the king. You're not supposed to laugh mm-hmm. at right. certain kinds of oppressive systems. Right. So fuck them. Right. Fuck them if you can't mm. take a joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so right. be- between the burn it all down and the um, accept the system, there are different ways, I think, that you can lay it out. 
you know, mm-hmm. calling something mm-hmm. on what it is. Mm-hmm. And she does that very gently. But man, mm-hmm. she's funny. She's so, so funny. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of how... It, it, sorry, then I'm going into this other conversation about standing, but I'll go back. I'll stay with um, Michelle. But I thought it was mm-hmm. like she wasn't... Um, I think about the white woman who recently attacked a 14-year-old black boy. Mm-hmm. Right? In the oh, hotel. oh, by the way, mm-hmm. there's a Southern California neighbor of yours, Travis. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. I thought yeah, 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 yeah. ex-cheerleader or something or Pep Squad rally leader. Yeah, I saw the headline <laughs> for it, but didn't really read the... the... It's pretty no, terrible. I, you know, so, you know... Just to, and we don't have to go because we've talked about it a lot. I, I just I want to I do want to highlight why ultimately I resist what I would call that flatness is because degradation, inhumanity, and indifference are not owned by white people. They of belong not. to all human beings, mm-hmm. and 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 in that way, the comfort of privilege is not a skin color obfuscation. Mm-hmm. It's a human obfuscation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm certainly, you know, what privilege would have looked like in sort of, if you want to, if, if the whole, and, and this was the premise of the joke, and this is why it was funny and why I laughed very hard at the, and she's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I agree with all that. And she was just absolutely devastating against uh, Bush at the correspondence dinner. Just devastating. I mean, so I, I'm with you on all the, uh, oh, Trump. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was like, Thank she you. Did Bush too? No, no, no. So thank you. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all of that stuff. It's just for my purposes, like for, mm-hmm. for, for looking for seams and, and critical uh, wedges to mm-hmm. figure out our way out of this mare's nest that is, mm-hmm. you know, early 20th, 21st century America. It's not helpful to think about basically whiteness in those terms because mm-hmm. it only explains 250 years of history and doesn't explain 5,000 years of oppression mm, and inequality. Kind of, I mean, so... I th- whiteness does not. No, so whiteness, would the joke, whiteness would the stops joke land, but would the in joke the 16th land, century. Would the joke land better for you if she said some white people? No, 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 no. You're <laughs> misunderstanding. That's okay, not my no, point. I'm trying no, to no. understand. That's why I'm asking questions. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it, no, the joke would not be any, would be less funny. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm saying what we have to demarcate is when something is funny and when it is useful to think with. It's mm. funny, but mm. it is not that useful to think with unless mm. we want to just stay in, in to, to, pre, to you don't preface think that a, a later women conversation. Might have heard that and went, you know, wait a minute, I am kind of doing these things. I do, I have some of those qualities. Maybe I need to look at those things. It could be instructive. It could be. I think, and I think, just as many non-white people who, or people who don't identify as "quote unquote" white, quote unquote white, would look at that and go, "Like, yeah, those stupid white people." It's true, but it's not I'm an not explanation like for the people who do or could use it as a way to think about it. That doesn't really explain things. That's just another part of it, right? Meaning that that's how some people might take it. So it's so still this stands. is how. So 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 this mm-hmm. is this breakdown. Um, that is this sort of slight taking sides around this issue that's happening mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. um, is reminiscent of the conversation we had around my um, bringing up Emily Nussbaum's 
uh, tweet mm. mm-hmm. right. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He said, you know, the, 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 in the 2016 election would be decided by how much white women still hate themselves. And I remember I said that, and I thought it was really a profound point. Stephen sort of did too. And then and you, Travis, you were like, no, that's wrong. It's fucked up. That's not helping us. Like, and your your point then was, okay, so we say that, then what's the next move? So what happens next? Yes. Like, how do we? Right. Where do we mm-hmm. go from there? And I take your point um, in in this instance too. I think I think there it is a useful distinction to talk about what is funny and what we can use to more carefully and more intentionally open up those spaces in our lives that mm. are kind of opaque to ourselves. But but here's here's also the thing. I mm. think that precisely because her humor is so incisive, and I think that's that's what makes us laugh. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, she's she reminds me very much of Dave Chappelle in that, in that she'll tell you a joke and it'll be funny as hell, but then you'll go, you'll start to taste a sharp tang after that mm. joke mm-hmm. leaves you. You'll think, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, you know what? That's it's that's kind of fucked up. And and here's the thing about what where Michelle takes me with that joke with that bit. Mm-hmm. Is I think of people like, and you won't know this person, Travis, but um, he is well known to Stephen and I, Haru, Haru Kuti, who's mm-hmm. um, a, an old friend of Stephen's, not so much a friend mm-hmm. of mine, but I, I've known him for a few years, mm-hmm. um, who said something on Facebook, and, and this is kind of in line with his general policy because I understand them, said something mm-hmm. on Facebook uh, a couple months back about um, expecting Trump to win and something about basically saying something positive about the idea of, of it's, it's a Marxist position of putting in place the means for real, for real revolution. That things have, the idea is that peace, basically things have to devolve. So this to, is to the such, accelerationist thing. That you yes, mentioned. it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to devolve to such a low point of morale that mm. people will basically, you know, take up arms and um, upend the system. Mm-hmm. And I have never believed that. I did just, just, just too much. I'm just, I, there's just too much human history that I know of that absolutely argues against that. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, 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 it's the argument sort of completely ignores the idea, the, 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 the role that ideology plays. Um, or, and just opportunism. So, I mean, look at how we, we start before we went on air, we were talking about parlor and then, you know, these other like what happens when all of the bulwarks and institutional supports for for the decency amongst strangers, which does not come to us reflexively mm-hmm. and requires a great deal of support and security to extend mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. when that when that disappears, mm-hmm. what what floods in? What floods in are opportunists mm-hmm. and porn, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, which is you know a free for all, like kind of the wild west town. I mean, when mm-hmm. you think of the wild west town, like what is like you know, I mean, it's mythologically, stereotypically, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, it's it's one of. I mean, lawlessness mm-hmm. is this kind of this struggle for a more common morality and a more common decency. Mm-hmm. If you tear it all down. The people that flood in are not going to be the Jesuses and the Buddhas. The people right. that fl- the the people that flood in are going to be the carnival barkers and the hawkers. Right. Those are the people so that are going to flood. Comedians in. into that the carnival barkers Harker. and those folks. Oh no! Oh no! 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 Right. No! No! Right. I'm just no, trying to no, parse no, no. this because I'm thinking about how oh, humor can be very, very useful. I'm sorry. In that 
social I was progress like, yeah, that no, you're talking about. <laughs> Comedians can be exceptional yeah, yeah, yeah. in that way. Oh, for I sure. I know that you're talking yeah, about what Haru like said else and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I just want to make <laughs> sure because I was okay. just like going, huh? No, no. Were, what? <laughs> I was like, no, am no, I on no, the right, no. <laughs> right podcast? Yeah. Just, what podcast is this? No, no, no. Sorry. I'm saying mm-hmm. I, I get – no, no. I, I get your point. I, I, so, no. I was just responding to what Seth was saying about the glee with which people – seem to want to disassemble things, mm. which is connected to the idea of like their comfort or discomfort with, you know, kind of destroying the current state of affairs, mm. which is, uh, so you're making a face. I'm making you a face to, about like, the glee part. I'm not sure if that's totally true, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, meaning that I've heard people who've really kind of thought about it and said, sometimes things might have to, they're not looking at it with any glee. They're just like, Maybe this is the kind of way that things might need to change because people are pushed to a particular degree. So I just wanted, I was just contesting this idea of glee. I think people do see yeah. it differently. Um, I'm seeing uh, it in various ways. I'm not coming from a, ha ha, burn it all down, but a, you know, this is what I think is happening kind of thing. Oh, okay. So I, I, it's a fair, it's a fair qualification. I also don't think that uh, everyone who holds that opinion mm-hmm. is looking forward to or gleefully awaiting the day that it is torn down. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. the emotional energy that is around that idea on social media and even in glossy media Mm -hmm. definitely has a subtext of anticipation and eagerness to watch things come apart. And not a little smugness either. And this is part of why why I I really don't like discussing politics with Haru because Mm -hmm. all he... all he comes across to me as is smug, like 90% smugness and maybe 10%, I don't know, like conviction mm. um, on thoughtfulness. I, 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 and I want to say this too about that smugness. It, it made me think too, or I'm thinking back now to the moment in 2016 when um, Susan Sarandon um, was was with a lot mm. of energy going around telling everyone how bad a candidate Hillary was and mm-hmm. how she was going to take us into oh, yeah. forever wars and mm-hmm. um, you cannot trust this woman and it would be a mistake to allow her in the, into the office of the presidency. Mm. And, 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 and that's when I got to know the term accelerationist. And I think, mm. th- honestly, in your neck of the woods, Stephen, you probably, okay. you probably have longer and more nuanced and richer conversations with people around these ideas of abolishing a few. particular institutions. A lot, but yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah, I would imagine you would because that's who you are. You're, you're a thoughtful person. But I, I think thank you. I, you're, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it just made me laugh. And like, good day. And good day to you too, sir. Well, yeah, good day to you, sir. Kinsian. I think you're the Kinsian argument. Is the Kinsian. I heard the Kinsian. Um. But I think. But but in but in my neck of the woods, I'm constantly seeing in in my Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Calls to like tear down the museum, and it's always the yes. museum. Yes. And I want to say yes. to people, yes. okay, if you want me to take you seriously, you really want to tear down the museum. Tell me what institution takes its place as a sort of guardian of public um, cultural memory. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that will that will that will allow us to, in sort of paraphrasing Travis, like? Be an institution where we can, where strangers can come together, mm-hmm. right? 
where strangers can come together and speak in some ways a common language or at least share a common experience. Mm. So, so people or who are point re- at the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. People who are really gung ho about saying that museums do harm mm-hmm. and that they mm-hmm. are um, come out of this colonial project. uh, Which is uh, false. Well, it's it's only it's only it's only partly true in that. It's it's just flat. The 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 oldest museum in the world is like Inagaldi Nani, which is like the daughter of one of the first Sumerian emperors. Like Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. not. This is this is why Mm -hmm. I get so animated around this and where. And I understand, you know, I think I understand where you're coming from, Stephen, and I get, you know, I I, I get it. Like, I, I, I think I get it, at least, that, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about this moment, like, you know, what happened yesterday? You know, where did, where was my grandfather living? Like, where did my great-grandma, I'm not talking about you in particular, I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. the, the legacy of slavery in this country. Okay, so what I'm saying, as an intellectual project its horizons are very limited, and it comes out in examples like this, like this argument that museums are a colonial mm-hmm. byproduct. Only if you want to extend the colonial critique 5,000 years, which mm. I have been at these conferences. I have asked scholars of colonialism, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I've pulled them all. I have not. I'm sure there are counterexamples. But in my anecdotal experience, they do not want to do that. They are not interested Mm. in that project. What they are interested in is a kind of Euro fetishism that Mm. that all sort of all of the institutions and inequalities and asymmetrical rights that are that are in the world that are current in the world today are a result of you know British tea time, and it's just historically false. Mm-hmm. It's just false. Mm-hmm. It's not what the world looked like prior to the rise of the of Europe, mm-hmm. and it has fuck all to do with what the world's going to look like in a, a thousand years from now when some other culture is ascendant over the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my my critique of that, their critique is a little bit different because I you know my training is in museology, and I and I and I spent a, a right. good deal of my forties um, in the British Library reading about museums. And one of the things that I know to be true from from what I've researched or what mm-hmm. I found in my research is that museums, even the European ones, don't. It, it's not. It doesn't make sense to say that they come out of a. They're byproducts of a colonial project because essentially what mm. they are is byproducts of modernity of this moment. At, at least if you're taking the sort of oldest mm. sort of French and English examples, of this moment when the monarchy stops being the arbiter of the social order. And what you actually get is the establishment of a kind of bureaucracy, mm. which is supposed to see all human beings as equal, right? And treat them all as equal. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment when in democracy comes into play as this, as this notion of, of how, to, um, how to adjudicate this mm-hmm. social order, mm-hmm. right? And museums actually come out of that moment where they take resources, the state, this, now, this rising bureaucracy takes resources from, this, from the church and from the waning monarchy, places them in a public trust, in these institutions that are supposed to represent the people. Mm. Yes, they never were fully 
ever representative of the general public, mm -hmm. where there was a good faith effort to say, here are these works that used to be in these private hands. Here mm -hmm. we're going to make them public so that, and, and we're going to institute um, ways by which the general public can come through and see all of these works, experience all of these work because they actually belong to them. Yes, the project has never really fully realized itself as, mm -hmm. uh, as allowing the general public to see all of what they hold because most of what museums hold actually never gets seen in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Yes, right, okay. Mm -hmm. But the fundamental notion of a public trust is still there and it's not in some monarch's basement. It's not mm -hmm. in some church abbey's loft. It's like it's in a museum. So ostensibly, at least, the knowledge and the curatorial skill that's marshaled to make that all comprehensible to us mm -hmm. is about honoring that public trust. That's not a colonial project at all. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for the, that mm -hmm. qualification. I, I realized in, in uh, describing that, I mean, what a qualitative difference that is from my example, which is still ultimately could be one is seen as a defense of elitism, right? Because clearly, you know, the, the, the emperor's daughter was not letting in, you know, the, the, the farmers right. yeah, to, to come right. see her collection of right. Egyptian trinkets. So right. uh, it's a wonderful distinction. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Uh, so, I, I mean, we're, we're, I know we can walk ourselves back to Michelle Wolf if we, if we want to. <laughs> why, um, why go back? <laughs> You're already gone with the museums and the history and all that. Oh my God, why are we doing this? Yeah, I love Michelle Wolf. I mean, Michelle Wolf. <laughs> and, you know, you know, we got on, on the tangent for some, something that is, I mean, I think is something that is a productive disagreement. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's a good thing for us to tussle over, um, mm -hmm. and it, you know, important qualifications emerge from it, I think, for, mm -hmm. at least for me. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So, you know, but I think we can very easily move it back to the, 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 the nominal issue, which is this, uh, idea of comfort and discomfort. Like, what mm -hmm. does that allow, you know, what does that allow us to know? Which I think is exactly relevant to Seth's point. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that, that museums have done is made us uncomfortable, Right. I mean, one of the mm. things that like opening this up to the public trust is do like, you know, you walk into the British Museum and you're like, damn, they conquered and killed a lot of people. Yeah. Here. It's all in this building right yeah. here. Like there's that civilization. Spoils they tore down. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a fucking colonial project. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a spoils yeah. of war. Yeah. It's an imperial. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it is mm -hmm. definitely that. And that makes us, uh, you know, uh, it should that make pisses people, people off. It should make yeah. you win. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with sure. you on that, for sure. For sure. But you know what? To, to, to maybe round this off or maybe actually make put a finer point on it, I'm, I'm calling a conversation I had years ago with Fareed Matuk, who is uh, the poet who now lives in Arizona with his family, um, who introduced Travis and I to each other. It was at mm -hmm. some party in um, mm -hmm. Southern California. He and I were talking one day about it's not the term isn't restorative justice because it preceded the kind of diffusion of that term through through our um, current culture. But mm -hmm. we were talking about ways to get to justice, and he asked me mm -hmm. whether I thought that people who were victimized, especially by violent crime, so like let's say your your mom was killed by this guy who's on trial, mm -hmm. uh, he asked me whether I thought 
those people should have any say in the person's punishment. And I initially said, yes, I thought so. And he said, no, I don't, because I think that you can, that kind of hurt, that kind of destruction can put you in a place where you don't see clearly, where like you're not able to sort of step back from the situation. Um, and maybe this is a paradigm that we don't want to live up to, but, mm. but step back and dispassionately. Um, not objectively, I'm not, no human being is objective. I'm saying dispassionately mm. mm-hmm. render a judgment about what this person's punishment should be, whether it should be life mm-hmm. in prison without possibility of parole, blah, 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 whatever. And the more we talked about it, the more I came around to his position, which is, I think that that's true. I think that you can, if I'm really hurt by someone, for a while, I'm not able to see past my hurt. I'm not mm-hmm. able to see around it. I'm not able to see the larger implications of what mm. punishment I might mete out mm-hmm. will, will be. And, and, and it, you know, the notion of restorative justice here is, is apropos because when we think about in terms of restorative justice, we're thinking not only in terms of how I was harmed and whether I would be made whole by, ex, by such and such a punishment being, hand, mm-hmm. hand, being handed out, but how the punishment and how the, how the, Crime and how the the hurt and the punishment also affect the community, right? The pu- mm-hmm. the pu- body public, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, is there a knock on effect when we put that guy away for forty years, fifty years? Is there a knock on effect with his family? How of are his children going to go grow up yes. and be educated? Right, but I'm not going to think about that if I've been harmed by this guy. Your absolutism cracks me up because you keep saying that you can't look past your emotional thing. And I understand that mm. you're talking about it in a larger way. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it, what came to mind were two things. One was when mm-hmm. people have um, parole, parole hearings and they do bring people mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and they do say, this is what happened to us. Is that a form? Mm-hmm. I wanted to know if you saw that as a form of restorative justice or people who stand up at a trial while just before the judge is making his or her, you know, is that... Is that part of the restorative justice piece? Well, we have a retri- we have a retributive justice system, right? Okay. So we, I, I mean, punitive, we, we, mm-hmm. we, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, we don't call it that. We like to say that people are being reformed and all this kind of stuff, but really, mm-hmm. our system, the underlying mm-hmm. motivation in our system, seems to be punishment. Punishment for sure. And and so the example you gave, Stephen, which is a totally valid one, seems to just be a mechanism in that system of, of retribution mm. and isn't really about re- restoration. And there are other, there are other countries that do have there and say, we don't want to see this. We're not, we don't want to see this guy be taken away from his family the way he was taken from ours or from people who have visited people in prison, people mm. who have been harmed by this person. They took a husband or mm-hmm. a daughter or someone away mm-hmm. and they are actually working together. That's what I was wondering about the restorative mm. justice part. If that's the term for it, but those things popped mm. in my mind. I was thinking, I agree with you. I feel like if we had, well, I won't start there. I'll say that. If the justice system lives up to what it is, being dispassionate and doling out punishments mm-hmm. as needed, regardless of race, gender, age, or whatever, great. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we've got a little bit of that idea of the restorative justice built in. Just mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or at least maybe the facade of it, if that's what mm-hmm. you're getting at, Travis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I do think I do think it's intention. I think the there's an intent for it to be there. Mm-hmm. In practice, 
it ends up not being that. And and I mean, let's be. I mean, the death penalty. I mean, so I would I would use kind of the extreme example as sort of the the kernel of what our justice system mm-hmm. is about. Our justice system allows itself to go to sort of the final arbitration. Uh-huh. You know that you know that last measure or whatever, like the British say. Like I mean, and and to take someone's life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and so that's that. I suppose in if if your if your idea of communal justice is uh, an actuarial one, like an accounting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sort of you're looking at it as a balance sheet, then okay, I guess that's a restoration. But to me, it's hard to see that as anything other than retribution. That is, you know, that is the state taking retribution for the family in absentia, right? So like the family can't, can't kill, you know, can't do the eye for an eye, can't, right. you know, there, there's no... We will take the eye. Can't, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah exactly. And so uh, I don't want to get too far. Uh, mm-hmm, I actually mm-hmm. just want to understand what your your point was in relation to st- uh, into what uh, to what Seth was saying. You seemed at a, there was seemed to be a moment where um, when Seth was articulating that it's hard to see past your own pain to understand what's fair, and you seemed uh, you had a moment of pause. What there, I wrote I down was so. the human project confounds me because I agree mm. with you, Seth. Maybe 75% of what you're saying about people not being able to see past their own pain or their own emotional um, relationship to this particular thing. And then I think there are examples of, and maybe we don't, and that's why I said it's confounding to me because I don't have enough information at hand, but there have been examples of people who have been able to look past their pain. Right. Sure. And right, I just, yeah. think, that, I just yeah. think that they're exceptional. And I think, and I wish I had more information. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think mm. they probably are exceptional but i feel mm. like that there's something to that though like it can't mm. be it can't be um it can't be pushed aside and it has um relevance in a way that i'm still it's still turning in my head um particularly because you the one talking about it and i can see you moving past your pain <laughs> to do that kind of thing so i'm like it doesn't you know the point of reference i mean not the point of reference but coming from you it feels like oh sure stuff can do that uh-huh yeah you know i mean so f- yeah so I, you know I for me i I no no I I I think I both agree and disagree with with the two of you on that. I think on an individual level it is not that unusual for people to look past themselves and see another human being in front of them. I think about, you know, obviously the Iranian justice system is often lampooned in the West, I think rightly so. It's it's a very um rough and unforgiving system for minor infractions. However, when, you know, in sort of when they do public executions and stuff like that, there is a moment where the um, the victims of the convicted fill-in-the-blank, murderer, rapist, etc., are allowed to forgive the person and give them clemency and therefore void the death penalty. And wow. I do not know the statistics on this. Wow. But I do know that it is not infrequent for a member of the family to step forward and to stop the execution. Wow. It's not like it never happened. So, I mean, so as, you know, I, I don't want that system of justice, but at the same time, you have examples of individuals stepping forward to do that. So I think human beings in front of one another, and when you actually... 
I mean, this is a lot of what I think, you know, kind of our social clothing, I don't mean our t-shirts, but our, the, the masks that we don to enter public, a lot of that is about not seeing people. It's not about just seeing people. It's about not seeing poverty. It's about not seeing inequality and that kind of thing. So I think when you take those blinders off, when you take mm-hmm. off the, the not seeing part, mm-hmm. I think most of us go like, oh, there's another human body. I mean, this is this worked for Gandhi, right? I mean, this overcame the British Empire. Like, I think we don't really like seeing individual suffering. I think it's in groups that we become unthinking beasts, honestly. But to circle back to Michelle Wolf, then, mm. how do you explain, like, the women, to take her example um, a step further, how do you explain the women who lived in these Southern mansions, surrounded by people who were enslaved by the men they lived with. And they saw those bodies being beaten, being raped, being mistreated, and they were comfortable enough not to do shit. This is the mask I'm talking about. Sometimes those women participated in the abuse, and they Mm -hmm. did benefit from those things. So they weren't solely just like standing by and, you know, turning their head. Mm -hmm. So there, there, that... I think that it is the mask that you're talking about, Travis. It's the mask, and it's it's something you have to work on a lot, I think, too. Like, it has a lot mm-hmm. of emotional, mental energy. You have to not see another human being. You have to. Because mm-hmm. what? And that's the big thing. What? What does it allow you? Comfort? Mm-hmm. It's not really comfort, but it's comfort, mm-hmm. right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of work not to see yourself in somebody. You have to do a lot mm-hmm. of work. Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah, and there's and there's a psychic toll to pay for that not seeing of the the person. So this is this is that it's that mask part. You just you don't mm-hmm. that's the whole this is you know, I, I'm not I don't mean it to be self-serving, but this is my ultimate objection to the the whiteness, the black like all this kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. you you definitely haven't and I don't mean you, I mean the collective you. No, you one mean me. has you mean not me. I know yeah. you mean me. oh, <laughs> One, one has not <laughs> <laughs> one has not read history deeply enough to believe that that term cannot be flipped on its head to justify inhumanity and suffering mm-hmm. for other people. Like I, I mean, it's just like we have to move away from collection for, uh, from metaphysical distinctions amongst human beings. Mm-hmm. We're just fucking human. Like, mm-hmm. you have some job, you have some social status, I have some job, I have some social status, but ultimately, like, you know, we've got beating hearts and guts and mm-hmm. we get diseases and we like to fuck and eat and, like, I mean, it's just, that's the space we need to be moving towards. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear the the racial critique or the racial defense or the racial justice, not, not, I don't mean defense as in, you know, that we shouldn't be thinking about these when it comes mm-hmm. to poverty and all the rest of this. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hearing. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's my objection to it. Mm. Fair enough. Well, I think we probably, I mean, I think we've, <laughs> we've come up on time. So, and I know we have, we have another uh, uh, topic for next week. So do you guys want to just move off this, close it out and then, and yeah. pick up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven, do you have a last word? I'm still thinking, still processing. <laughs> All right. Honestly, I'm, I'm making it sound funny, but actually I'm just thinking about some of the things you guys have said. And so I'm like, mm. I'm actually going to mm. think about those things. Mm. Okay. Uh, part two. <laughs> um, part two. So thanks very much for the conversation. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. All right.